Hi, and welcome to Rich in Relationship. And Carly Myers is back. Carly Myers is with the Stress Less Company, and she's going to talk to us today about identifying your energetic blocks or triggers. How are you today, Carly? I'm doing quite fine. How are you? You do. You look very relaxed and chill. Mm. Yep. Got my standing desk. I'm able to just relax as if we're hanging out at a cocktail uh, table. You know what? <laughs> Next time, let's do this with, with cocktails. I'm great. Thank you. And it's actually probably better without the cocktail. I had a cup of coffee, though, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. There you go. Yeah. You it's go. that time of day. So <laughs> yeah. welcome back to the show. And of course, you already know the question I'm going to ask you, but the audience doesn't. So it's a big surprise. Or maybe they do. Maybe they've been to enough of these so that they know what the question is. The question that I'm going to ask you is, how did your heart lead you into this work? Mm. Yeah, I, I knew it was coming. And yet I love the the way that you phrase the question, like, how did my heart lead me versus my brain? Um, two very different things. So um, I know I've been on the show before. I've, you've probably, some of you may have heard my story, but um, it's really important to my journey. You know, I the reason I got into the line of work that I am in today is because of an experience I had when I was a kid. Um, when I was about 12 years old, my mom's ex-boyfriend broke into my childhood home, killed my mom's new boyfriend and tried to kill my mom. He shot my mom three times. Uh, and for context here of how traumatic that was for my mother, she was shot in the head. Mm. So she was not supposed to survive. And yet by the grace of God, she did. And while my mom basically made a full recovery with the exception of a pair of reading glasses and a slight limp, she, you know, she made a full recovery. I really struggled for a long time. You know, I struggled with the symptoms of PTSD, with stress, with overwhelm, night terrors, jumpiness. I mean, you name it, I was probably struggling with it. And as I kind of went on my journey, I kept getting advice from people when I would finally open up and be a little bit, a little vulnerable, I would say things like, you know, Hey, I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling overwhelmed. And it was like clockwork. I got the same five or so responses every time, you know, have you tried therapy? Have you tried yoga? Have you tried changing your diet? When's the last time you hit the gym? And while some of those things were helpful, many of them weren't and none of them got me over that hump where I was experiencing the beautiful state of mind that I knew was possible. Um, that, that childhood joy, that, that contentment, there's so much more to it, but, um, and I would kind of come back to these people and I would say things, I, I, if I was brave enough, I'd say, well, you know, meditation isn't really doing it for me. Like, in fact, it's triggering me a little bit. And I would get this kind of shame response where they'd be like, well, the fact that you can't meditate tells me that you need to meditate more, right? And there was something, there was part of me that was like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. So I should continue trying, right? And so I did for a long time. And on the other side, I was like, there's gotta be something more. And after more than 10 years of exploration and struggle, I finally figured out what worked for me. And I realized that there was no one size fits all when it comes to stress management, mental health, the whole nine yards. 
And I threw a temper tantrum. That would be my head to answer, answer your first, that first reference there. But when I finally grounded back in my heart, I realized that, you know, wait a second, I was angry because no one was talking about it and I wasn't talking about it. Yeah. And here we are. Well, you know, for those of you on the podcast, you can't see Carly, but I can. And she's a lovely, well-adjusted, whole and complete <laughs> human being today. So clearly, Carly, you found the tools that work for you. Mm. And, um, you know, what I understand from our previous conversation is that really for each person, there's probably going to be a unique combination that works because we're, like, we're all unique people. Yep. And I'm curious how that relates to our topic today, which is identifying your energetic blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that I just have to take a moment to reference the previous episode where I was on. Um, so I have this thing called the stressless method. It's my signature method that guides um, those who work it to figure out unique, what uniquely works for them. So first, the first step is manage your energy. What uniquely works for you to manage your energy? So if you're interested in that first step, listen to that other episode. The second step is to identify your, what I call your blocks. And, you know, I think for me, for a long time, trauma aside, there were so many things or trauma included, really, there were so many blocks that I wasn't even aware of. Um, but it was the power of figuring out, okay, it's not the stressor. It's not the, um, the client that's driving us nuts. It's not our partner folding the towels wrong. It's not all of these not leaving the toilet seat up, not leaving the toilet seat. Yes. It's not any of those. Actually, we got an electronic solution for that. And guess what? There's still triggers in the house. It's it's (laughs) unbelievable. So it's not any of that. It's these energetic blocks. And just to catch catch this audience up. So um, step one is learning to manage your, uh, identify that triggered state and get, get it so that People don't just walk up and go, oh, there's a button and push it. And you go, ah, you know, it's like the first part is to just kind of, is to kind of know that you have that going on. Um, and mm-hmm. that's what we talked a lot about. And so there are tools for that. And each person has, needs to find or is, or is going to find one way or another through trial and error or through a professional like yourself, a mm-hmm. unique set of tools that's going to help them to chill that reaction down. Yeah. Um, and then this part is like, so identifying those blocks that, you know, what, so what are the situations? What makes those buttons? How, why are those buttons sort of kind of hardwired into us? Mm. You know, I think it's because as we go through life, we, our neuropathways are strengthened based on our experience. So for instance, we hear all the time about money stories, right? Um, we have unconscious or conscious money stories because of the experience we've had in our lives. Maybe our parents never kept the pantry full because they were always on a budget, right? Maybe we couldn't get that, we didn't get that thing for Christmas because we didn't have enough money. We go, you know, oh, now I've got student loans. Oh, money's never there for me. In fact, it's 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 hard, right? And and so these experiences create that story. And then that story, we're not always conscious of it, 
and, and it kind of lives within our neural pathways and it becomes automatic, right? So we move through the world as if money is, is a burden that there is not enough of it, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just one example. We've got it sort of hardwired into us from the way that we were raised and our parents' attitudes around money. So Mm -hmm. yeah, clearly these are blocks that we make. You know, another way that uh, I put it besides blocks, a way that I work with my own clients around it is these are behaviors that adaptive behaviors that worked for us when we were one, well, three, Mm -hmm. six, nine, 12, but later on in life, maybe they didn't. So while we were in that household with those people who are super money conscious, this was a great strategy because we were in harmony with them. But when, you know, we're having our own family and we want to have a, a more abundant lifestyle, those thoughts can be very limiting. Absolutely. And become a it, block. <laughs> yes, exactly. It becomes, right, it's the, it's the light at the end of the tunnel for so much of our lives. And then we realize that it's like a roadblock with a light, you know, a lamp clip to it, mm-hmm. right? It, it stops us in our growth and our progress. And so it's, it's about flipping the switch, rewiring the neural pathways to experience more emotional freedom than ever before. And so uh, if, if I could just lay this out for the average person, so many people that I've worked with get like really frustrated when they identify something like, like what Carly is just talking about, like, oh my God, I get it. You know, my parents were cheapskates and, and I'm trying to figure out how not to be. I, they get, maybe they get a little judgmental uh, and th- th- they realize that. And then they don't understand why they just can't change. Like, it's like I, I intellectually, they grasp the concept. They see the, where they could be with it, but they can't seem to shift no matter how hard they try and they can't seem to shift. And so what Carly's talking about when she's talking about neural pathways is not only is this kind of emotionally grounded to us, but uh, when we have a set of thoughts and feelings, which are very intertwined, our neural network in our brain, it's kind of like, it's kind of like we develop an emotional ski slope that we go down. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're up there on the top of the ski slope and somebody talks about money and we go, oh, I know, I know that path. And we just start shooting down it. And now, you know, we've identified it. We see that there's another way, but we don't know how to get off the one we've been on our whole lives to get to that new way of thinking, feeling it like, so it's part of our body, you know? So, all right. So how do we identify those things and, and shift them? Those neural networks, emotions, uh, limiting beliefs. And, you know, it's such a, it's an amazing thing when you work with coaches that say, you just need to change your mindset. You just need to change your limiting beliefs, right? It's so easy. What the hell is yeah. wrong with you? But it, sometimes oh. it isn't just that. Sometimes you need to shift your, your, your neurology to, to, have, to have a shift in those limiting beliefs and feelings. Yeah. And I, I love your ski slope example because it's that momentum. It gives you the idea of a momentum. The other analogy that was given to me was like, you have, it's almost like you have a forest. Your mind is a forest. And there's a forged path pressed down in the dirt, in the soil. And it's just been cleared by you walking it over and over and over again with those thoughts. And you realize, oh, wait, there's a path over here, but it's got branches and and there's grass coming up. And it's up to you to stomp down the dirt, to remove the brush and to make that pathway easier and let the other one overgrow. So that's really- Can I tell you a ski story? Yeah. So my daughter was like four in ski school, right? So we figured they were just off doing greens and all this stuff. And one day she comes skiing with us, she's five years old. So I mean, she's like so low to the ground. She doesn't know what falling is. 
you know, um, and she says, oh, mommy, daddy, let me show you where the ski instructors take us. And she, oh, there's this little cutoff into the trees. And so all of a sudden she cuts off into this path. And, and my wife and I, we, we are not big tree people, you know, but we're like, hell, she's four or five. We can do it too. <laughs> and she took us down this like ice slide through the trees and she was flying through this thing. And I think it's a lot like that, you know, like, cause once we got on it, we were like, how do you get off this ride? You know, <laughs> like we couldn't see the way out, but I think it is kind of like that. You know, you, you just, you, this well-worn path and you, well, you know that there's an ending and if you just stay with it, you'll come out the other side and you, you know, but what you really want is to jump off of that thing and maybe even slam into a tree if you're careful about it. <laughs> wow. What a great story. What a great analogy too. Cause yeah. Fear. Don't let your five-year-old take you on the ski school paths. <laughs> but also do take those paths because th those paths, that, that is the reason that change can't happen. I think in one way, right? Because the change is scary, whether it's good or bad, right? There's, there's two different. We now, we now ski the trees. We don't, <laughs> we go. do not ski the well-worn ice cabades of the ski school, you know, but we now ski the trees. So we did learn from that, but how does that apply to uh, emotional blocks to triggers. Mm -hmm. Right. So it really starts with what we have an awareness of, right? Um, what is past, present, and future even bothering us on any level, big or small? Um, I think a lot of us kind of push down or diminish how we're feeling about something. And so I, I want to stress the importance of, even if it feels small, if it feels like silly, acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. Um, so with my clients, what we do is we, we create a thorough inventory of every, uh, what you would call triggers, mm -hmm. right? Every trigger, past, present, and future. And we, then we take time to go through this inventory line by line and really go deeper into it. So, okay, well, why does this thing bother me so much? Let's go mm -hmm. into that. Can um, you give us an example? So hmm, what's a great example? So, um, hmm. so I might put a trigger is, uh, a, my boss, let's say it's my, my boss who, uh, my micromanaging boss. Let's, let's have that as, as the trigger. I hate that guy already. I already hate him too. <laughs> and the reason why I hate him is because he doesn't trust me. Right. I, I'm trying to get my work done. I'm trying to grow this position and, and help our clients, but he won't stop breathing over my shoulder. And then we go deeper into that. Okay. Well, what is that? What feelings does that trigger for me? Mm -hmm. Well, it makes me feel self-conscious. It makes me feel incapable. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel claustrophobic. Like mm -hmm. we, we go into like unpacking, like, what is this actually what emotions does this bring up? Cause it's not just annoyance. Cause that's the easy one to identify. Mm -hmm. There's so many more underneath of that. And then it becomes this journey that my clients and I go on to say, okay, what, what's next underneath that? What are the basic human needs that are actually being threatened by this? Mm -hmm. Right. So to reference Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right. Is it our physiological needs, food, water, you know, clean, clean air, clothing, things like that. Mm -hmm. Is it safety? 
with resources, money? Is it um, our health? Is it love and belonging? Is it a sense of uh, esteem? Is it the, you know, what they call um, self-actualization, which means basically like becoming the best version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of follow the line of this exploration to go back to the example, we would say perhaps the basic human need that's being threatened here is safety. Well, I'm afraid to say something to my boss because I need the money. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to pay my bills, but also it's threatening my esteem my sense of self-worth, my sense of self-pride, my confidence. And so him not trusting me is having me question myself. And it's also threatening my self-actualization because now I feel like I can't be fully myself and I can't take control and I can't be creative because I've got this person breathing over me. Mm -hmm. And it's at this point of the kind of exploratory process that we realize, oh my goodness, I'm not crazy. It makes sense that these neuropathways in this situation took me down this route because it's affecting three out of my five basic human needs. Like, of course, I'm going to be angry. Of course, I'm going to be upset. Mm -hmm. And it's that grace that kind of helps us continue down the path of, okay, in this situation, how have I created more suffering for myself? This is where we get to the actual block. How have I created more suffering for myself? Well, perhaps in this situation, I never turned around and, and said to my boss, hey, I've got this. Can you give me a little space? And then that's where we go into the opportunity to rewire the neuropathways by one simple little baby step, which is to say, hey, can I have a little space? Can I report back at the end of the day? Or can we check in in an hour? And it's those you know, it could be that baby step. It could also be something larger that is habit forming, right? Where you're committing to doing that every time he walks yeah. over to your desk. But we realized that the actual block had nothing to do with the micromanaging boss and had everything to do with not advocating for yourself. So it's less about trying to control or change others and more about identifying, all right, so I'm having an uncomfortable feeling. What's the source? You know, where did it start? Uh, what are the, what is the areas of my life that it's impacting? Uh, how can, and understanding really what the roots of that discomfort are. And then once you understand where that's coming from, come up with a, a reasonable strategy. I mean, one reaction might be, leave me the hell alone, you know, but <laughs> like, that's not going to work very well. Yeah. You know, exactly. uh, in, instead of what yours, which was, Hey, I got this. Don't worry about it. Yes. And that's the importance. There's a reason why I have the stress less method organized in the way it is organized, right? Step one, manage your energy. Because when, you know, when, if we don't manage our energy or our stress response, what happens is, is that's when we're more likely, we may still go through that process and get to a resolution, but that next step is going to be, well, screw you, I'm out, right? Yeah. Versus something that's more grounded. That's when we end up shooting ourselves in the foot because it's, it's just physiology, right? I wonder, have, I wonder how much the great resignation is grounded in that right there. Totally, totally. I mean, I'm not, I think, that, not that people shouldn't be leaving work that they're uncomfortable mm -hmm. with, but it is interesting, you know, what's going on right now culturally. 
Yeah. And imagine though, the great resignation is powerful in that people finally are realizing their values and what they want in their Mm -hmm. lives. But imagine if every single one of those employees had sat down with their bosses and said, this is what I want. Do you want me to stay? This is what I want. And this is what I can give you. And this is how it'll be a win for both of us. Mm -hmm. You know, here's how I can shift. Here's what, right. And if all of those employees had, had the capacity or, or the discomfort resilience in the words of my mentor, like to have that conversation, we could have actually flipped the, in every industry, the entire, you know, employment sphere on its head and do work differently. Could have been wild. Yeah. Well, there's still people resigning out there. It could still happen. Listen up. Hey, and it may be time to leave. You know, I'm not saying stay if, if it's not a good fit, but there's opportunities for, to create deep shifts. So let's say that we have a listener who really wants to do some of this deep work that you're talking about. How do they find you? So if they're interested in exploring the stress less method and doing this deep work, I think the first place that would be really great for them to go to is um, the application to apply for a complimentary discovery call. And the link for that is stresslessco.com slash apply. Got it. So it sounds like not everyone gets in the door. Not everyone gets in the door. <laughs> it has to be, um, you have to be really dedicated to want to make these changes, right? Talk about the neural pathways, the, the, the beaten down path. You really have to want to make these shifts. And I'm looking to partner and collaborate with folks who are really ready to, to make that shift so they can experience more emotional freedom and, and create that ripple effect in their lives, right? Oh, perfect, perfect opportunity for my final question, which is what is the legacy you want to leave behind? Mm. You know, it's funny. I just, I just kind of came up with my manifesto, if you will, or womanifesto for the next year. And it starts with the word together. There's three sentences and it's a very top visual for me. It says together. Um, And it says, I believe that easeful abundance is totally possible. And I believe that we can eradicate suffering and heal the world. And I'm going to stop there because I think that those two are, are just mind blowing mm-hmm. to, to leave as a legacy, but easeful abundance and eradicating suffering. If, if we can, as one person, just be the ripple effect in our lives for everyone around us, it's totally possible. Love that. I love that. That is a great thought to end this show with, even though I never want you to go. <laughs> appreciate it <laughs> yeah thank you so much and as always i appreciate you and the work that you're doing thank you so much for having me